Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is Soundtrack Your Life. We'd like to thank you for listening, whether this is your first episode or if you're, a, or whether you're a longtime listener. You can follow us on Instagram at SoundtrackCast and on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your. You can also support the podcast by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash SoundtrackCast. Our guest today is Brian Coburn of the Playlist Wars podcast. Uh, welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about Playlist Wars? Well, Playlist Wars is a podcast that started in 2021, and it's a podcast that basically takes an artist, topic, or band, and we have three guests on the show, myself, my co-host, and best friend of many, many years, Gomez, as well as a special guest, and we each create a playlist based on that artist or topic or band. And then we kind of have a roundtable discussion. We go through our playlists, track one through track 10, and kind of see where we align, where we differ. And we kind of make a case for why our playlist best describes the topic of the evening. But then at the end of the episode, we turn it over to the listeners to chime in on our website, which is playlistwarspodcast.com, to vote for their favorite playlist and then every 10 episodes we have a results episode and we reveal the winners of that latest round of battles we call it because it's playlist wars that's great and i'm a big fan of the podcast thank you i'm glad to hear that that's really awesome we've done some we've done some soundtrack episodes and let's just say i haven't fared so well so i'm a little nervous coming on tonight because i'm not the biggest movie buff in the world but i know my soundtracks yeah, and this is probably the perfect soundtrack to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about the 1996 Tom Hanks film, That Thing You Do. My favorite movie of all time. So why is it your favorite movie? To be honest, there are so many movies out there that kind of drag you down with weight and anger and violence and whatever you want to call it. This is just a feel good movie from start to finish. Yes. There's a little bit of drama going on with the band, but for anybody who's ever been in the band, they get it. They understand it. And this movie takes place in the 1960s and it feels like a 1960s movie. The attention to detail in this movie between the music and the actors and the scenes and just down to the cars being driven is all perfect. And it really captures a moment in time when bands were a lot of flash in the pan, one hit wonder bands. Anybody that is a musician will get a lot of the nuanced jokes throughout the movie. And the plot just makes you feel good because you're following this band from a garage through their rise in stardom. And it's, kind of a dream every musician has and it's something that was just so well done and so well crafted 
that I absolutely fell in love with the movie the first time I saw it back in the 90s. I was driving down to North Carolina with my buddy to go back to school, and it was a 12-hour drive, so we stopped around the seven-hour mark because we were exhausted. And in the hotel, they had those rent movies that are still in the theater. And he says, this one looks interesting. It's about a band. Let's check it out. And we watched the movie the next morning when we were about to hit the road. I said, we got to stop at Walmart. I need to pick up a few things. Bought the soundtrack. We listened to it for the last few hours of the drive, and I've had it in my collection ever since. Yeah, what's incredible about the soundtrack is that it's mostly original music, but you wouldn't be able to tell you know, the first time you listen to it. Yeah, the effort that was put into crafting music that sounded like a product of that time was so brilliant. And Tom Hanks just got done making Forrest Gump. So he just did a period piece movie, well, several period pieces within Forrest Gump. And they used all that original music from that era to be able to go out and craft a soundtrack that sounds like the era. And we're going to talk about some points where they really nailed it and knocked it out of the park with the fact that some of these songs were played on oldie radio stations because they just fit so well. Who cares when it was recorded? The vibe and the tone and the sound was perfect. And it really, I mean, brilliant, brilliant work in putting the soundtrack together because let's be honest, the theme song to the movie, if it sucked, the movie would have been terrible. You had to hear that song multiple times in the movie. And that thing you do is such a great song. You're not sick of it in the two hour runtime of the movie. And that just goes to show what a strong song it is. Yeah. And I believe you hear it like 10 times throughout the film. Yeah. And it's a song that made it on the actual Billboard charts, kind of mirroring its rise in the film. It peaked at number, I believe, 41. Mm hmm. Peaked at 41 on the Hot 100, number 22 on the Adult Contemporary chart, number 18 on the Adult Top 40 chart, number 24 on the Top 40 Mainstream chart. Pretty good for a band that didn't exist. Yeah, and that was due to the fact that several oldie stations around the country put that thing you do into rotation alongside of bands like the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Del Vikings. The song was nominated for a Golden Globe Award in 96, as well as an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Yeah, and I believe the soundtrack went gold. Yeah, I mean, that speaks volumes. And the soundtrack and the movie launched a record label. Tom Hanks actually launched Playtone Records and has released, since that thing you do in 1996, nine different soundtracks on the Playtone Records label, including... Two soundtracks from The Sopranos, Bring It On, Josie and the Pussycats, Band of Brothers, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, The Truth About Charlie, and Starter for Ten. Yeah, that's incredible. And I believe this is Tom Hanks' directorial debut. He's also in the movie. He also wrote the film. And he actually wrote a lot of the songs on the soundtrack as well. I think that was just shows that this was a passion project for him because he could have very easily handed off the songwriting. But the fact that he wrote a lot of the music in there knew he, he had the music in his head and he worked with other great people to make that music happen. And it was a success. 
and he wrote for a lot of the different artists in the film, so it wasn't like he was just writing wonder songs. He was writing songs for all these different styles of Playtone artists. Exactly. And I, and I can't wait to get into that because the idea of the Playtones gallery, that the group that they went on tour with during the summer, they nailed every subgenre of the music of the 1960s so well that you would actually think you were listening to music that came out in the 1960s. Uh, so what are some of your favorite songs from this fake Playtone roster? Oh, man. Well, obviously, That Thing You Do. All the songs that were given to the Wonders on this album were perfect. Little Wild One, Dance With Me Tonight, even All My Only Dreams, all fantastic songs. And the fact is, they really knew how to follow the soundtrack. Because let's take a song like Little Wild One, for example. Obviously, that thing you do couldn't be the only song the band played out in the movie because it was already, like you said, 10 times in the movie. So they had to come up with other songs. And because for some, the song is already played too much throughout the film. I'm not one of those people that believe that. But irregardless of that, you need to have these songs that follow the same sound. You need to feel like you're actually watching a band here. And songs like Little Wild One, which was written by the Gigolo Ants and performed by them, sounds like another song in the Wonders Arsenal. And then you add a song like Dance With Me Tonight, which musically, the vocals are different. The lead vocals. And they handled it perfectly in the movie by letting Steve Zahn's character, Lenny Hayes, sing the song when they performed it during that scene in the movie. Because it's not unheard of in the 60s to have multiple singers take lead in pop groups. So I thought that was a nice, subtle nod to, the, to that era as well. Yeah. And those are all great songs. Um, David Gibbs from the Gigolawants uh, went on to write other songs for movies. He wrote for Josie and the Pussycats, and he's actually, he's the musical director for Rock of Ages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was no slouches in this movie. And a lot of people in this movie were making their, you know, film debuts. Yeah, it's a pretty loaded cast yeah. and loaded soundtrack. It, especially when you look back, you had... You know, between the just the band itself, you had Jonathan Shack, you had Steve Zahn, who's been in plenty of movies over the years, you had Ethan Embry as the bassist, and you had Tom Everett Scott as the drummer. Not to mention you had Liv Tyler, who really broke out because of her role in this movie. Yeah, and just kind of in small cameos, you have Charlize Theron as um, Tom Everett Scott's girlfriend at the beginning of the film. I think Brian Cranston shows up near the end of the movie as one of the uh, hosts of the TV show that they perform on. A lot of great, a lot of great cameos in this. But surprisingly, not a lot of musician cameos. I thought we might see some musicians from like the 90s dressed up as 60s artists, but uh, they kept it with all all actors. Yes, and I think that was actually pretty interesting because the actors did not know how to play. Well, two of them did, but two of the actors did not know how to play instruments. If I'm not mistaken, Ethan Embry and Steve Zahn had some musical experience prior to the band, but Tom Hanks actually 
sent the four of them to a musical boot camp for three or four weeks where they learned how to play the songs that took place in the film. And they became a band quote unquote over those four weeks preparing for the role. So even though they're miming playing in the performances in the movie, they're actually putting their hands on the instruments where they belong. They're actually drumming with the exact beat. They're not using stunt doubles. They're not using people that are cast. They're actually playing it. And to me, that really goes to show the level of detail that went into making this film believable. Yeah. And Guy Patterson, who's played by Tom Everett Scott, he is drumming in a jazz style because his character loves jazz. Yes. And that's the plot point of the movie. But the way he's playing drums, even though he's playing, you know, the straightforward pop rock drum beat, he's still playing it like a jazz drummer would. And another fun fact about the movie, you had talked about Tom Hanks writing a lot of the music. The drum solo that appears in the movie, I Am Spartacus, Tom Hanks wrote it. Oh, I didn't know that. So let's talk about some of these songwriters for the soundtrack. So we Sounds mentioned great. David Gibbs and the Gigolo Wants writing Little Wild One. We've mentioned that Tom Hanks is sprinkled throughout the soundtrack as well. So the lead singer of the Wonders, or the voc- or the person who did the vocals for um, a lot of the Wonders tracks, is a writer by the name of Mike Viola. Yep, from the Candy Butchers. Are you a Candy Butchers fan? I wasn't until I saw the movie. <laughs> I'm more familiar with uh, his work post-Candy Butchers, but um, he's got a great voice and perfect for like a 60s pop band. Oh, uh, unbelievably, yeah. Um, uh, So recently, I've actually seen Mike Viola live because he's been playing with uh, Dan Wilson of Semisonic. He actually co-writes a song on their latest EP. And he's also done work for Andrew Bird, um, who I've also seen live recently. Uh, you talk about power pop brilliance. Semisonic is it. I mean, they're incredible at power pop. Yeah. And uh, Dan Wilson from Semisonic is kind of one of those hot songwriters. Um, you know, he wrote, co-wrote Someone Like You by Adele, and he's co-written with uh, Taylor Swift as well. So people are very, very uh, aware of the pop sensibilities of Semisonic, I would say. Yes, I'd agree. But Mike Viola has, has a lot of work with Mandy Moore. He's worked with uh, Fall Out Boy, Butch Walker. He's had a pretty prolific career, and also, and he's also done a lot of he's also done a lot of other film work. So he's also done music for Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, which is another <laughs> sort of rock and roll movie, and uh, Get Him to the Greek as well. Yeah. So he's one of the songwriters for this soundtrack. He is also the lead vocalist on That Thing You Do. So Jonathan Sheck is kind of miming to his vocals. But it, can, I, I, I'll be honest, I can't picture any other person in the movie besides Jonathan Shack. Like he really embodied that character. The yeah, look, he sells the style, that. the feel. I don't know if I could picture Mike Viola in the in the movie. So his voice, though, perfect. Right. It's kind of like you know a voice actor 
and exactly the, <laughs> the animated character that they're playing. Mm-hmm. We also have Gary Getzman. I believe that's his name. He's kind of more of a producer, but he wrote a lot of the songs with Tom Hanks. He's also done a lot of work in soundtrack supervision. But I thought it was really cool. Yeah, a lot of the songs in the middle of the soundtrack itself were written by Tom Hanks, Getzman, and Mike Piccarillo. The three of them kind of worked hand-in-hand on the songs Mr. Downtown, which was Freddie Fredrickson, Hold My Hand, Hold My Heart by the Chantrelines, Voyage Around the Moon by the Saturn V, and My World is Over by Diane Dane. All four of those fictitious bands, all four of those part of the quote-unquote Playtone Galaxy that the Wonders were on tour with, and all four artists based off of popular 60 song styles that really encapsulate the wide scope of popular music at that time. Just for example, the Chantrelines Hold My Hand, Hold My Heart is a direct nod to the Ronettes Be My Baby, the opening drums. You hear it and you kind of get that nod where if they were using the real music, they might have been pretending that they were on tour with the Ronettes, but the Chantrelines brings it into this fictitious world so much better. Yeah. Like I said, with songs like Hold My Hand, Hold My Heart, or Mr. Downtown, like I would just assume that these were deep cuts from the era. Like I would not say, oh, it sounds like something that maybe Tom Hanks wrote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't think about Tom Hanks. I mean, when you think about Tom Hanks and soundtracks prior to this, you think of his rap with Dan Aykroyd in City of Crime for the Dragnet movie. <laughs> oh my yeah, gosh, remember that's, right. that's a that's a deep pull right there. You can find that one on YouTube. I actually own that CD soundtrack. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Tom Hanks can throw down a good rap for <laughs> for an 80s cheesy uh comedy. Oh man. Yeah, I'm sure there's <laughs> I'm sure there's bigger offenders of rapping in the 80s. I just remember oh, him dancing across the piano in Big. Oh yeah, that too. But Piccarello and Getzman have been working together. Piccarello has done a lot of animated uh scores. So he's done stuff for like the Archies, Sabrina's Secret Life. Um, but I think the interesting thing about Getzman is he's actually one of the executive producers of Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads concert film. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And that may be my favorite concert film, which was directed by Jonathan Demi, who ended up directing Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And who also appears in that thing you do as the director of the double fake band, Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters, the beach movie that the fake band, the Wonders, were starring in the fake beach movie Weekend at Party Pier. That's right. You got all that? All the fake, the double fake? I think that's all in there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love talk- I love talking about the double fake. <laughs> And then a nod to the attention to detail. That type of movie was massive at the time. They could have very easily just grabbed a real movie and like green screened them in, but they actually built this whole scene around it and it felt very real and it felt very fun. And Mike Piccarello wrote the Shrimp Shack song and it's maybe not the best song on the soundtrack, but in the movie, it makes for one of the funniest scenes. Yeah, I think intentionally it's not supposed to be the best song on the soundtrack. Exactly. And that and it works because it's it's very tongue in cheek. 
So this is what's really funny to me about the movie. I just rewatched it last night in preparation for today. So Erie, Pennsylvania is where the band is from. But they filmed most of the scenes in Erie, Pennsylvania in Orange, California, which is about half an hour south of L.A. with no traffic. And I used to live maybe five minutes from this part called Old Town Orange where they shot all those scenes. So the appliance store and the place where they have breakfast where Guy Patterson kind of runs into the band. I guess he literally ran into Liv Tyler's car first. Yes. All of that was shot basically five minutes from where I lived for like the last 10 years of my life. (laughs) Oh, wow. Now, let me ask you, the hardware store, is it an actual hardware store or was it something else that they turned into a hardware store with the with the set design. That was done by set design, but where they had breakfast, that was an actual diner called Watson's. Um, well, it was like Watson's Soda Fountain and Drugstore. Oh, very cool. And until like 2015, 2016, it looked exactly like it did in the movie. And they had a framed picture with like, that was signed by the whole cast. That's awesome. So I used to get like milkshakes all all the time over there. <laughs> so it's kind of hilarious that, you know, they travel from the small town of Erie, Pennsylvania, and they end up in L.A., but in reality, they were just 30 minutes south of L.A., and then they just drove <laughs> up to L.A. <laughs> I mean, that's the magic of movies, right? You can turn You can turn locations into different countries or whatever, but... You know, to we watch it and be like, oh, that was like my basically in my backyard. That was pretty funny. Yeah, and think about it though. They could have very easily screwed that up if a car from the nineties drove by on the set. So I mean every car, everything down to like they they really nailed the set design for this. Yeah. I'll tell you they had to ship in those parking meters because there's no parking meters in that area. And that's a big part of the movie. The drummer would have never broken his arm had he not tried to hop it. That's right. But I believe that Army Surplus store, that, that's just there. That, that wasn't really redone. Huh. So that was like fun for me to like relive. Like, oh, yeah, they shot this movie there. And that's, you know, at least that uh, Soda Fountain place was very proud of it. Yeah, the only brush of that that I have, the movie Beer League with Artie Lang and Ralph Macchio. Have you ever heard of that? No, but I'm intrigued by hearing Artie Lang and Ralph Macchio being in the same movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's a comedy, and it was filmed at my high school's football field and baseball field. So the first time watching the movie, I had to have it on pause the whole time because they were in my my high school football locker room. They were in, you know, every all the whole big chunk of the movie was filmed where I went to high school, which I thought was awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think before that thing you do, the closest story I had to that was um, Pavement shot some low-budget music video in this, like, strip mall across the street from where I went to college. And we didn't find that out till they, like, released a compilation of their music videos um, on DVD when I was in college. And me and my roommate were just like, wait, that hallway looks familiar. 
that fountain looks familiar. Oh my gosh, they shot it like where we have lunch every week. <laughs> but anyways, so yes, Erie, Pennsylvania in real life is just Southern California again. There you go. Well, I mean, most New York movies are shot in Vancouver anyway, so. I think everything's shot in Vancouver nowadays. <laughs> so let's address the big elephant in the room. Let's talk about that thing you do. We already talked about Mike Viola doing the vocals, but let's talk about the songwriter. Oh, God. Rest in peace. What an amazing, amazing songwriter. Adam Schlesinger, Fountains of Wayne. Just, I was my heart hurt when we lost him. I mean, not just because of that thing you do. He is an amazing, amazing, uniquely gifted songwriter. And he gave us so many great tunes that unfortunately fell under the radar because fountains of Wayne outside of Stacy's mom never really exploded as a band. And they really should have, because they have so many great albums and so many great songs. And, Adam is such an amazing song. You hear it in that thing you do. You really, really do. So much so that you and I were talking offline before recording. I actually put together a list of five songs by Adam Schlesinger outside of that thing you do and Stacy's mom that you should have in your playlist because this guy is an amazing singer songwriter. Well, I would love to hear what those songs are. All right, let's start with, I'll go with track one. I went back to the band's 1996 self-titled album, and it's a song called Radiation Vibe. It's the song that introduced me to the band, and I saw them perform it live when they opened for the Smashing Pumpkins in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1996. I instantly became a fan. This is 90s power pop at its finest with a soaring chorus that just begs you to sing along with it. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. After that, I went, I'm, I kind of just chronologically went through his career. In 1999, I went with the title track from Utopia Parkway. It's a breezy, mid tempo power pop song that feels like a nod to the cars. And the cars are one of my favorite bands. So there was no way I was not going to mention Adam Schlesinger and not mention this song. And the album is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think that's my favorite album of theirs. Track three, I went off of their 2003 album, Welcome Interstate Managers, which most people either remember or own because of Stacy's mom. But I'm not going with that one. I'm going with a song called All Kinds of Time. It's a beautiful ballad that really showcases his ability to storytell within a song. Really, really good one. After that, I went, up to their 2007 album traffic and weather. And I went with a song called 92 Subaru, which is an infectious power pop song that almost delivers you a doobie brothers, China Grove kind of feel, but done in the fountains of Wayne power pop style. And then lastly, I went into 2009, not from fountains of Wayne, but from a super group that Adam was in. And they only had sadly one album they were called tinted windows adam wrote seven of the 11 songs that went on this album now tinted windows was a super group that featured adam on bass not vocals james eha from smashing pumpkins on guitar taylor hansen on vocals from hansen and bun e carlos from cheap trick on drums 
And the song I picked off that album was a song Adam wrote called kind of a girl. It's kind of an, it's again, infectious power pop, but it's almost leaning with a punk tinge. So you could certainly feel the cheap trick influence kind of coming out in the song in the best possible way. And Bun did not write the song. Adam did. So Adam knew having somebody from cheap trick in the song, he kind of channeled it into this tune. And, you know, you would think that having James Eha in a band after his work with smashing pumpkins in a power pop outfit might not work, but, Think about this, 1979 from Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, that's superb power pop right there. And that's lurking in his guitar work in Smashing Pumpkins. When he puts it on full display in Tinted Windows, it's amazing. He even wrote what I feel is one of the strongest tracks on that album, Back With You. But Tinted Windows is very hard to find. Uh, You could definitely get it on streaming, but if you want a physical copy on CD, it's really not easy to find. But um, highly suggest checking out those five songs to give you an idea of what Adam did outside of Stacy's mom and that thing you do. And if it's not rambling, I'd also like to say that Adam did a lot of outside songwriting. He wrote the song work to do for the band America on their 2006 here and now album. He co-wrote high school never ends with Jared Reddick, which was a song by bowling for soup. And it appeared on their 2006 album, The Great Burrito Extortion Case. And Adam also wrote three of the songs in the music and lyrics soundtrack, Meaningless Kiss, Way Back Into Love, and Don't Write Me Off. And he also executive produced the soundtrack. And then on top of that, there was countless TV shows that he worked on. He was also the executive music producer for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on The CW. I mean, this guy did everything. Yeah, he also wrote a song for Josie and the Pussycats. Mm-hmm. He, with his band Ivy, they did the score for Shallow Hal. And he even wrote the Elmo the Musical theme song from Sesame Street's Elmo the Musical. Mm-hmm. So he's also written for award shows, and he wrote all the songs for the Stephen Colbert Christmas special as well. And I don't even think when I dug into this, I don't think we're scratching the surface. He did a lot more for shows that might not be as big and as like household recognized, but he was everywhere. Yeah, his work is everywhere. For someone who hasn't won maybe an award for like he's not he hasn't won awards for like the Oscars or the Grammys, but he's been nominated, I think, for pretty much every major category you know he's he was a contender for the egot as people like to call it yeah uh so let me give you five songs all right that i love i can't wait to hear these i'm gonna write them down so i'm also gonna start with their self-titled debut i'm gonna go with sink to the bottom nice it was the first song of theirs where i really noticed how just melodic their songs were and how catchy they were um so that song i listened to a lot and then that got me excited for utopia parkway um from utopia parkway i i always think of the song denise that was my i was literally going back and forth between denise and the the title track both fantastic it's kind of this distorted sort of 
catch it's a song that kind of you don't expect to be as catchy as it is it has this distorted little almost grungy riff and then it just kind of explodes into this huge power pop song and it's one of my favorites of theirs and then i'm gonna do two songs from uh welcome interstate managers i'm gonna go with the first song on the album mexican wine wonderful which i also feel like is a very cars influenced power pop song i the cars is one of my favorite bands of all time so anytime you say that it's like you've got my attention if it's a band i've never heard before but you're absolutely right they really this album feels like an unreleased cars album but through adam's voice it's so fantastic and i'm also gonna pick hackensack which is the fourth track on the album Katy Perry redid that as well. Yeah, and she covered it. And it's just yeah. a really beautiful little ballad of a song. So if you want something that's like a little bit on the more mellow side for Adam Schlesinger, I, I think that's one of my favorites of his. And then from Traffic and Weather, I'm going to go with the title track, Traffic and Weather. One. And then if you want to talk cover songs, because that's something I do on Playlist Wars all the time, Fountains of Wayne covered a fantastic version of Baby <laughs> One More Time by Britney Spears. So well done. Out. Oh my God. It's on there. Oh, I'm trying to think of it. Well, it's on the Freaky Friday soundtrack that came out for uh, Lin- the Lindsay Lohan movie, but it's also on uh, one of their compilations. Um, Oh my God, the name is Out of State Plates. That's it. Okay, I'm going to have to look that up after we're done recording. <laughs> the only Baby One More Time cover I'm aware of is the Travis one. This one, when you hear it, you're going to be like, wow. It's really, really good. Okay, I look forward to that. And now I also have to correct myself. I apologize because I know way too many cover songs. Bowling for Soup did Baby One More Time and Freaky Friday. The Fountains of Wayne one was just a B-side they had on one of their singles, and then it made out-of-state plates. So I apologize for the mistake there. Uh, No worries. So there's two covers I'm going to have to look up after this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, he also wrote the uh, Crank Anchors theme song. That show's been on for a while. <laughs> that one, actually, I had no idea until I was reading up on him today that he did that. And when you listen to it, you're like, huh, oh, yeah, you're right. It just it fits right up his style. He was able to kind of, he was almost like a chameleon. He can catch a vibe and then just attach to it and channel it in his own way. And it's just brilliant. Yeah, and there's always, like, he's always building a hook that you just can't get out of your head. And, like, when I listen to these different soundtracks that he's worked on with other artists, I can, there's something about his sound that I can kind of pick out. Like, when I listen to Josie and the Pussycats, which has, you know, you have Adam Duritz from um, Counting Crows, and you have you know, Dave Gibbs from Gigalowants and you have all these other artists that are writing these songs. You can kind of pick out like some of their signature sort of 
I don't know, melodic, I don't want to say go-tos, but, you know, they all have their signature things, which makes, you know, Counting Crows popular or the Gigolo Islands popular. But Adam Schlesinger, like, it's all, like, I always find his song the best on all these soundtracks. I'm always like, that's the best song. And of course he wrote it. Yeah, he just had a way. I mean, let's be honest. I said this at the top of the episode, and I mean it. If the song That Thing You Do sucked, the movie might not be my favorite. Because imagine having to endure a meh song 10 times over two hours. But you don't get sick of it when you're watching the movie. You really, you fall in love with the song, and you fall in love with the story. And it makes the song even more special to you at the end when they're playing it for the Hollywood TV showcase, because you followed them through this journey from the garage to, to the television set and everywhere in between. And it's just brilliant. Yeah. The song is super catchy, but you buy it as a hit single that people would go crazy for in the sixties. Exactly. And I know we're not alone with this because being we were talking about cover songs a few minutes ago, that thing you do, I can name three covers right off the top of my head here that you should check out. The Knack. Remember my Sharona? Mm-hmm. They covered it on their greatest hits collection, Proof, the very best of the Knack. Newfound Glory did a punk version on their From the Screen to Your Stereo EP. And Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day released a quarantine cover of it and then put it out on his 2020 album, No Fun Mondays. Oh, very cool. And they're all fantastic versions. Are they as good as the original? No, but you feel the ones they're, they're doing and you feel that they're coming from a place of love. So I enjoy hearing them regardless. Yeah, I'll have to check those out. I'm giving you some homework, man. I apologize. <laughs> oh, this is good homework. I like this homework. We try to do that every week on Playlist Wars. I always chime in with every single cover reference I can think of, and Gomez is always chiming in with his movie and video game references. We like to give people homework that listen to our show. So <laughs> I apologize for assigning stuff to you as well. <laughs> I feel like that's what podcasts are for, so you can... Maybe not get homework, but you know you're you learn new things. It's fun homework though. Going down musical rabbit holes. What 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 could be better than that? There's nothing better than that. That's right. I read a Billboard interview that he did, I think, in 2016 to kind of celebrate the 20 year anniversary of the song, and he said he wrote the song in like two days. <laughs> Sometimes you don't need to overthink it, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's what he was saying. Um, and I know that you're a musician as well. Sometimes I think he says uh, something to the extent that sometimes the best songs are the ones that come together the quickest. Well, think about this. What does everybody talk about when you talk Guns N' Roses? They talk Appetite for Destruction. Axel spent 15 years making Chinese Democracy. Maybe he should have spent less time making it and just wrote the songs and recorded them and put them out, but he kind of just kept going over them and going over them and going over them and going. And by the time it came out, the hype kind of outdid the album. Sometimes don't overthink it. A fun, catchy song is all it needs to be. Yeah. And he wrote it and, and he didn't even know that they were going to 
accept the song. Like he was just kind of told about it and then said, Hey, I can kind of do something like that. <laughs> and, you know, submit it like, like it was a competition. Yeah, there was. And obviously it won out and it won out because it was the right song. And the funny part is there were actually two bands in the sixties called the wonders actual bands. So the wonders, while it's a fictitious band in the movie is actually two different real bands. And both of them had hits. One of them was a band called the wonders spelt W O N D E R. Neither one of them were spelt the O'Neaters, just for the record there. <laughs> that's my favorite what? joke in the movie. I love it. I actually have a shirt that looks like the Ramones logo and it says O'Neaters across the top. And when people see it, if they know the movie, they're like, dude, that shirt is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But one of the bands had a ballad called With These Hands. And in 1962, it was played on KCRG in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So not Erie, Pennsylvania, but you know, a small town in Iowa and the other wonders, same spelling had a regional hit record called say there, which was released by Colpix records in 1963. The only thing that people know about this band is that they were either from Ohio or Pennsylvania, but two different bands called the wonders actually exists. Third time is a charm though. The fictitious band probably beat them all. Yeah, and I think they used some of the history from the uh, two previous Wonders bands into this fictitious one because I'm also reading that the Wonders from Columbus made the top 30 at KQV in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is. Pittsburgh. A, yep, Pittsburgh, P- Pittsburgh. That, that plays a major plot point in the film. Should have left love you in that. Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> and you know one of my favorite parts of the movie is is something that's so subtle that only a musician would get the wonders bassist ethan Embry, is unnamed in the film he never has a name if you notice and a lot of people don't even know that fact but if you watch the ending credits he is credited in the movie as t b player which is short for the bass player. The joke in that is the perception that bass players are mostly unknown and unappreciated. So being a bass player myself, that joke landed immediately with me when I heard that TB stood for the bass player. I still chuckle about that to this day. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I've read that Ethan Embry has gone out of his way to name him Tobias or Tobias. Tobias, the <laughs> that's amazing. He's like, he seems like a Tobias. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a Tobias. And then also, again, you talk about the nods, the subtlety in the way this movie was made. Tom Hanks character, Mr. White is named after Andy White, who was a session drummer who filled in for Ringo Starr on their hit single, or the Beatles hit single, just in case you didn't know who Ringo Starr is, Love Me Do. And that's wow. why, that's how Tom Hanks named his character. He wanted to give a little nod to the Beatles. Right. Obviously, if his last name was Starr, it would have been very obvious. So to go for a, a fill-in session drummer, it's a nice little nod there. I love that part. 
Yeah, I just love looking at all the guitars that they use in the show <laughs> or in the film. So I'm a guitar player, so I was like, oh, he's got a Rickenbacker. I really want a Rickenbacker. And again, they could have very easily screwed up and brought out modern 90s guitars. They went back and got the original looking guitar. Maybe not actual, they might have been replicas, but regardless, they went with the look and feel that it should have been. Yeah. And there's one other song on the soundtrack that we haven't talked about yet. We we mentioned it early in passing, but I would love to chime in on if you don't mind. And that is uh, Time to Blow by Del Paxton. Yeah, let's talk about it. Written by Steve Tyrell and Robert Mann. Steve Tyrell is a fantastic jazz musician. And they perfectly encapsulated 60s jazz. That sound was so prevalent through the 1960s. For me personally, several of my favorite jazz albums came out in the 1960s. John Coltrane's A Love Supreme was 1964. Kenny Burrell's Midnight Blue was 1963. And Oscar Peterson's Trio Plus One was 1964. Then you have albums like Art Blakey's Yugitsu from 63 and Miles Davis's Sketches of Spain from 1960. Listen to those albums and then listen to Time to Blow. They really found the perfect sound to make it feel like you were still in the 1960s. And that was so perfect. I actually have Del Paxton, quote unquote, Time to Blow on my jazz playlist on my phone because it fits right in. And somebody... Well, I was with a buddy in the car and he turned to me, isn't this from that thing you do? And I'm like, yeah, what's it doing on your jazz playlist? It's jazz, dude. It works. It fits. It's just as good. I love it. Yeah, that's a great track. I I really like how they handled Tom, um, Guy Patterson's like love of jazz. I think that <laughs> so I so when I was watching it last night I was like oh they handled this way better than they did in La La Land and not not yeah. to go on a huge La La Land tangent but you know he's just a jazz fan and when he meets um and when he meets Del Paxton he is just wide-eyed and you can tell he's trying to contain himself but he can't cuz he just loves his music so much and, you know, it's not where he, like, you can tell that he's a fan and he doesn't see himself as an equal, even though the Wonders are number seven on the Billboard's charts. You can tell that he's meeting his hero. And I feel like they just handled it perfectly. Take that again. Every time we have somebody on the show, I say to my wife, I hope I didn't sound like Tom Everett Scott did talking to Del Paxton in that thing you do. Because in my mind, I feel like I'm gushing the way he does in that movie. And again, that's probably why this movie is my favorite movie. Cause I, I can kind of see myself in that character, the way he was just, his jaw was on the ground and his face was lit up. And that that's me. Whenever I meet another musician that I'm a fan of. And I felt that scene so much. Yeah. I think it's a very authentic sort of reaction to meeting like one of your musical heroes. You know, like I had, I had John Munson from Semisonic on the podcast and, you know, I've loved that band for, for years. And I remember just like 
an hour before recording, I was just like walking around the house, just like trying to keep my cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some very, uh, fun guests on playlist wars we had rob felicetti who's the bass player for bowling for soup on we've had g love of g love and special sauce and we've had mark trojanowski of sister hazel on the show and all three times leading up to it i'm like don't geek out don't geek out don't geek out and i think i did a good job at not geeking out or if i did at least i got it out of the way before we hit record I don't know if um, I'm hoping it was the same experience that I had where, you know, they're just such nice people that they just put up with it. <laughs> right. I, I swear I've been blessed to all three of those experiences were like you were talking to your old buddy. They were fun, relaxed, easygoing. And I'm always afraid being worked in radio for 20 years. I've met a few musicians who have literally ruined my love of their music because they were so obnoxiously rude to myself and some of my coworkers. I'm not going to name it because I don't want to badmouth anybody, but there are some bands that I cannot listen to or support in any way, shape or form because of how terribly they treated some of my, my former radio colleagues. And every time I reach out to an artist to bring them on the podcast, my initial fear is, God, please don't ruin my love of your music. But yeah, I totally have felt like Tom Everett Scott, I'm sure, when I've met various people. And so that rang very true to me. I think um, that show where they they completely bomb it and like mic stands are falling over and feedback's coming from everywhere. I was like, I've been there too. Oh my God. Yeah. One of my old bands, my drummer fell off the drum set one night. He had a few too many and uh, yeah, that happened. (laughs) Yeah. I think the way that they deal with failure is like, it really resonates with me. Like it wasn't just like, Oh, everyone's hammered it was just like sometimes you just have a bad night yeah exactly and everything was done with such poise and grace throughout the movie that even the scenes that were harder to watch some of the more dramatic falls between Liv tyler and um uh jonathan shack it's done in a way where i mean I think if you watch the director's cut, which is on the Blu-ray, it kind of spells out the relationship between Liv Tyler and Tom Everett Scott much earlier in the movie. And you can kind of tell that that's where it's going in the theatrical version. It's a little more subtle because they didn't flesh out some of the conversations between the two of them as much, but it was tied up in a nice little bow. So even the dramatic parts of the movie, everything just kind of, worked out for the best for all parties involved for who their characters were. And I think that was what makes it my favorite film because you don't really have a bad guy in this movie. Whereas you could say Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Shack was, but he went on to do what he wanted to do. The herdsman and Tom and Everett Scott and Liv Tyler went on to do what they wanted to do. And they became a couple and like every character went and did exactly what they were meant to be doing. And it was just this flashback of this summer where they were all together in this one hit wonder world. And I think 
it's just a feel good movie there. You don't have to have much more than that. And Tom Hanks really nailed the movie. The fact that it didn't do well in theaters, but has since become a classic to a lot of people who widely see it as one of his best films outside of Forrest Gump. I mean, that's, that says a lot. It's, it's a breakup that, I mean, uh, at least the band band wise, the band breakup, I feel like feels very like natural to me. Yeah. I could not see them doing like a, a sequel to this movie where they're in their, you know, 30th reunion tour in the eighties. I just, I don't feel like it would have been anything like that. The, there is no need. Please God. If you're listening in Hollywood, no sequels, no prequels, no remakes, no revisits. This movie's perfect. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, you can do a completely original movie about a different band in a, in a different decade. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> PSA. No more remakes of good original films. I also love when they record the song for the first time, they do it in a church and Liv Tyler and Uncle Bob are clapping along because they need hand claps in the songs. Chris Isaac, man. that's that, that was one of the best cameos from a musician in the movie. Yeah. And he's like, guys, we got to wrap this up. I got I to get this gear out of here. <laughs> but the funny thing is about the church, you talk about acoustics and back in the 60s, the microphones they had, the, everything was recorded with very few. You didn't have multi-track recording back then. You had to position the mic perfectly in between the amps to get the nice balance of sound. That was part of the mono recordings. And you know, I, maybe the clapping was done on on this the other track, but you didn't have four, eight, ten tracks until Sergeant Pepper. So, I think actually, I think. Um, Les Paul did some multi-tracking, but the first major studio album with multi-tracking, I think, and if I'm wrong with this, I apologize for the factual imperfection, but big hit multi-track album was uh, Sgt. Pepper. So, Yeah, that's right. I, I, was, I, I haven't finished it yet, but I was watching Get Back, the Beatles documentary. Mm-hmm. have not seen it yet, but now you think that was in 67, and I think... That thing you do takes place in the early 60s. So they were still doing everything in mono recording at that point. So getting into a church with the best acoustics to make the sound as clean as possible. You only had one mic and the takes were done live. There were no overdubs. Yeah. And even if the Wonders were in 67, they probably wouldn't be able to afford the studio to multi-track. I was about to say, yeah, Beatles had Beatles money. <laughs> But in, in the documentary, Paul McCartney at the beginning is at least is complaining that the Beach Boys just got like an eight track. <laughs> <laughs> and now you think to now when there's some bands that have hundreds of tracks and they still don't sound as good as those albums did. Right. But, you know, even McCartney is like, we need more tracks. Like This one goes to 11. They have up okay. to eight. <laughs> How are we supposed to compete with that? So uh, I think I think we've covered the movie and soundtrack pretty well. Yeah, I'm glad we got to talk about some of the movie too because it's the first, I've always wanted to talk about my love of this film and the soundtrack. So I'm so so thankful that uh, you were that you brought me on tonight. This has been absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, like I said offline, you are 
pretty much the perfect person for this podcast because I know that you this is a rock and roll movie and I know you know your rock and roll. Oh, that's something I've uh, I, I pride myself on. I don't know why, but I am a music geek. I'm a music fanatic. My hey, what do you want to do to relax? Time is going to a music store and browsing. That's like my desert island beach day is going to a record store. I genuinely get a rush going into a music store. It's a high that I cannot explain. It's just a joy and a love I have. I've been collecting CDs for 30 something years and I'm never going to stop. Yeah, same here. And I love talking about, you know, so only music geeks will love talking about like, who's that songwriter behind that fake band? In that movie. <laughs> well, we're going to have to find a good musical angle because we've done some soundtrack episodes in the past on Playlist Wars, but we have to bring you on to Playlist Wars to battle us for a list. So we're going to have to mull over some topics here because Gomez and I would love to repay the favor and have you come on and battle it out with us. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, big fan of the show, like I said, at the top of the uh, episode. Try to catch your stuff every week. Even if it's a topic that I don't particularly care for or a band that I'm not particularly familiar with, I just love how much passion and knowledge you guys bring every week to your show. Well, thank you very much. And you the same, man. I'm a very big fan of what you're doing here. I'm a big soundtrack guy. Like I said on our soundtrack episodes, there's tons of movies I haven't seen, but tons of soundtracks I own. And it's become a running joke on our show because we did a 90 soundtrack episode and I'm waxing poetic about the Judgment Night soundtrack. And they're like, remember this scene? I'm like, never saw the movie. And their jaws hit the ground. You almost heard a thud on the table. And they're like, well, how do you own the soundtrack? I'm like, well, the soundtrack's awesome. It doesn't mean I need to see the movie. Oh, I'm the same way. I, I, so I'm, I'm glad you are my people. So I pre you and I are going to team up on Gomez when you come on. <laughs> Also love the Judgment Night soundtrack. Never seen the movie. Gomez has. He says it's actually really good. So might have to try to dig out a DVD next time I'm at a record store. See if I find the actual movie because the soundtrack to me is a classic. Yeah, that's great. But there's so many soundtracks where I have it because, you know, one of my favorite bands has a B-side on there. And that's the only reason that I bought the soundtrack. I had no intention of seeing the movie. I just wanted those <laughs> extra songs. Yep. Yep. Look, I'm a, I'm a fan of Paramore. I think they're a fantastic pop punk outfit. I love Haley Williams voice. I have the twilight soundtrack because of the song decode. I think it's an amazing hard rock power pop song, a uh, punk power pop song. And people are like, you own the twilight soundtrack. I'm like, I never saw the movie. I just love that song. <laughs> That's why I have the Twilight New Moon soundtrack. There you go. See? It's like, oh, there's a new Death Cab for Cutie song on here. The Tom York's got an unreleased song. Grizzly Bear's got an unreleased song. These are all of my favorite artists. Are yeah, you gonna I'm watch in, the movie? Right? Yeah. Are you gonna watch the movie? Nope. Nope, not at all. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for having me on, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. I really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I had so much fun talking that thing you do with you and all the different writers and bands, fake bands in this movie. So you guys can 
catch Playlist Wars every week. There's new episodes every week. They also have a Patreon you can join if you want to get episodes early. Yeah, and we also have some special tiers there. It's patreon.com slash playlist wars. We have some tiers that if you want to come on and be a guest, if you're not a podcaster, but you've always wanted to talk about a particular album or a band, you could sign up and join us for a show. We give Patreon special shout outs in every episode where on Twitter, when people chime in, we'll mention them if they sync up with one of our picks. But on Patreon, we always use the Patreon picks as part of the episode to kind of tie it into the show because they're going a little extra out of the way for us. So we try to repay the favor that way. And we're always happy to have people connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at playlist wars and on Instagram at playlist wars podcast and the big home. The mothership is playlist wars podcast.com. That's where you could vote each week. When we have our playlists up, you decide which one of us got it right. And then we give the results on the results show. So playlist wars podcast.com. We're always happy to connect. If you message us, we will respond. If you tweet at us, we will respond. Um, and we are thankful to have such a connection with people like you to bring us on. And we like to, you know, this podcast community is so amazing and we're so thankful to be a part of it. And don't cheat on the voting. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people got really excited about voting, I guess. And, uh, we were we, one episode, we got close to having more votes than downloads. And we're like, yeah, I think somebody's, uh, a big fan of one of the playlists here. So we, <laughs> We kindly ask that it's one vote per person per episode. <laughs> yeah, don't stuff the digital ballot box. This is not American Idol, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Thank you again. You can check out our Instagram at SoundtrackCast and on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your. And uh, we will catch you soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too.